Napa know-how. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10-31-17. You are Locked On Pistons, your daily Detroit Pistons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Dan Feldman here. Welcome to Locked On Pistons. Follow us on Audio Boom or subscribe on iTunes. Today I'm joined by Nate Duncan of the Dunked On Podcast. How are you doing, Nate? Doing quite well. Honored to be on once again. Thanks for joining me. Uh, We're going to jump right into this. I don't know if there's been many sharper critics of Stan Van Gundy as a head of basketball operations. I think you've been very praiseworthy to him as a coach. Uh, But today we're going to just focus on him as as the team president, somebody running the front office and roster building. Uh, Before we go in to splitting it up by uh, we're going to look at Stan Van Gundy is a drafter. Stan Van Gundy is a trader. Uh, Stan Van Gundy in free agency. Uh, and then a couple miscellaneous moves that don't quite fit neatly into either box. Uh, what was your impression when the Pistons hired Stan Van Gundy, not just as a coach, but somebody to run the front office also? I feel like they probably needed to do that to get that good of a coach in, considering that with the morass that the franchise had been in for the five years or so before that. Yeah, I would agree with that. Did you did you have any expectations for him as running the front office? Well, generally, coach front offices have not done too well. They've been focused a bit too much on the short term. They have not really kind of done the legwork, the, the groundwork to just kind of eke out the little salary cap advantages that can end up being important in the aggregate but may not seem as important, you know, in each individual transaction, but there certainly have been front offices that have succeeded in that regard, San Antonio being the most salient among them. So I I wanted, and I think Stan is a really smart guy overall in that if any coach could do it well, that he would be among them. And I thought also the fact that he immediately went and hired Jeff Bauer as a dedicated GM was something that, that augured well. Yeah. So I, I had very similar thoughts. Uh, And then Stan Van Gundy started to talk about why he wanted this. And I don't necessarily believe him. You know, I think a lot of times coaches want it because it's a higher salary. It's more job security. Like it's more authority. And that's pretty much it. And this connects a little. uh, But the more altruistic reasons he gave were you build a stronger connection between the front office and the coaching staff because it's they're both run by the same person. You never have the issues of the coach isn't playing a player that the front office really likes and the front office is acquiring players that, that the coach doesn't like and vice versa and and one side blaming the other. And we see this happen. Those are real problems that teams face in the NBA and the Pistons are not going to face that. Uh, having Jeff Bauer helps. He's been more empowered than I ever expected. You know, every coach who runs a front office, there's somebody who holds the top title of whether they call him a general manager, an assistant general manager, whatever they call it. There's somebody who's the highest ranking person only in the front office. Uh, but I think Jeff Bauer has been more empowered 
but it all falls to Stan Van Gundy. So we're going to be evaluating all these moves as Stan Van Gundy's moves, because ultimately that's what they really are, no matter how much Jeff Bauer helps. And we should give Stan Van Gundy credit for relying on Jeff Bauer to whatever degree he does. Uh, so let's start off. Well, here, the, before we start, just in yeah. the aggregate, you said that I've been one of the sharpest critics of Van Gundy. And I think that's been the case. I have been one of the sharpest critics of certain moves that they have made. The Aaron Bain signing being among them, the lure contract being another one. But I also have given him a lot of credit. You know, I gave him even at the time a B minus for their offseason last year, despite the fact that I really dislike the Baines contract. And I like a lot of what they have done overall. I mean, I think while I have criticized some signings I haven't liked, I mean, that's from a cap dork perspective, but you have to acknowledge that they have been very effective in terms of the trading that they've done, the fact that they're just much better than when he got here. Uh, and so I, I think overall it would be difficult to argue that his tenure so far has not been a success. Well, I guess I would also, in addition to the micro moves, I, I think you've been justly skeptical in the idea that a team should have president coaches. So that maybe Stan Van Gundy's the exception, and that's what I want to get into with, with you a little bit. Uh, but in general, this is a bad idea, so you're playing from behind a little bit once you start this. Unless, like you said, this is what it takes to get a good coach, and it probably did for the Pistons. They've run off too many coaches over the last you know, several years before that just to think somebody with a, with a strong coaching resume is just going to want that job without something else attached. Well, uh, I think also that... I would argue that the kind of freewheeling nature of the free agent process, the amount of cap space where teams have had more cap space than they know what to do with, has actually played to the advantage of coach slash GMs and Van Gundy in particular, because the screw ups that you make where you're not quite managing your money as well, the there's not nearly as large of a penalty for that now as there was back in, you know, 2010 to 2013 when the cap basically stayed flat for that entire period. So, you know, Hey, you signed Aaron Baines to overpaid him to be your backup center. Well, Hey, the cap just went up another 20 million. Now you can sign some more backup centers. You, you have the ability that the mistakes in terms of overspending don't really cost you as much. And then they also have had a good philosophy that he has believed in, and I think has been smart of kind of using your cap space in trades. We saw that with Ilya Sova. We saw that with Marcus Morris and Reggie Bullock. We saw that with Tobias Harris and sort of having a fear of the free agent process in some ways uh, has also really played in. And so I think he's that particular idea has been really ahead of the curve as opposed to teams that have just been like, oh, we're just going to use our cap space. Uh, I mean, he's gotten much better value by taking guys into cap space really as almost straight up salary dumps than you would have gotten on the free agent market. So I think whether it's just him adapting to that or just kind of his own preconceived notions have fit in really well and that the environment has been more conducive to that kind of a philosophy. I'm going to save my response to that, to, to our big picture thoughts at the end. Uh, first, I want to get into some of his specific moves. Uh, and so just let's start with evaluating him as a drafter. Uh, and he has made five picks since taking over in 2014. He drafted Spencer Dinwiddie 
at number 38. In 2015, he picked Stanley Johnson, or yeah, Spencer Dinwiddie at number 38. Uh, in 2015, Stanley Johnson at number eight. In 2015, Darren Hilliard at number 38. Uh, and then this year, Henry Ellenson at number 18, and Michael Benajay at number 49. Uh, so when you see that list of picks, just what what's your overall evaluation? Good drafter, bad drafter, somewhere in between? I liked Stanley. Okay, the other guy who was talked about at that point really was Justice Winslow. I would say that Devin Booker looks better than him. I would say that Miles Turner looks better than Stanley. You could maybe even argue that Trey Lyles looked better than Stanley. You could maybe argue that Justice looked better than Stanley. But nobody was really talking about those guys. Turner, of course, uh, was someone who uh, plays the same position as their best player, so they probably weren't going to make the investment in him. I like Stanley. I think that's going to work out to be a good pick uh, and – I like his physical tools. He's also very young. So I like that one, but really nothing too sexy in all those other picks so far. Yeah, it's it's tough to grade so far because he didn't have a first rounder uh, in his first year, thanks to a, a really stupid Ben Gordon trade that Joe Dumars made. You know, not Van Gundy's fault, but he had to deal with the fallout a little bit. I would have taken Justice Winslow over Stanley Johnson. Nothing their rookie year says has persuaded me to change on that. I, Stanley Johnson was probably would have been my second choice. Uh, I think Darren Hilliard has been better than I expected. Yeah, uh, I, I honestly, he's probably one of the NBA players that I know the least well. So I, I don't want to really, I don't feel comfortable <laughs> really evaluating that pick particularly well. Uh, Cause I just haven't watched him play enough, uh, frankly. And Spencer Dinwiddie, like I thought, was a decent bet. You know, he's coming off injury, and he just hasn't been able to shoot the NBA level, and that's derailed his career. But at that time, made sense as a bet. Uh, and then this year, I know you're not as high on Henry Ellenson as I am, or the Pistons are. Stan Van Gundy said I think he was about number 12 on their board. Uh, and so he was thrilled to get him. I had him similar. I also had Timotei Luawu, uh, Cabarro, Cabarro, you do not pronounce his second Luau last name. Cabarro, I believe. Cabarro. Uh, you know, I had him a little higher, but I had them both well above 18. I would have been happy with either. Uh, but I know you're not as high on Ellenson, and we'll see how it plans, plays out. Uh, but why are you a little more reluctant about him? I just don't think that he, there's much way in which he can develop into a quality starter. He's the size of a center. He defensively is the speed of a center. He does not protect the rim the way a center needs to, probably cannot play pick-and-roll defense or switch on the perimeter very well, and he did not really show much efficiency at Marquette. I think that his main skill is generating tough two-point jumpers. He kind of does this thing where he grabs and goes, but he doesn't actually like drive and finish at the rim on those plays. Maybe he can then become you know a really good three-point shooter, but he doesn't isn't going to do like all those things are sort of novelties his skill level which is very impressive for his size but those are novelties when as a big man you can't actually do the important big man things that are non-negotiables at those positions and so that's why I don't I don't particularly feel encouraged about his development even though he is young and you don't want to ever uh, write someone off completely at this age yeah I generally agree with that I guess we just have different interpretations of, of some of those skills. I think there could be a lot of value in a center who can shoot threes, which he can't yet, but you can see him being on that track. Yeah, hopefully. But, but is he a center though? I mean, the whole point is that he can actually 
you know, your center gives you defense on one end and then he well, can so, shoot threes on the other. I think he's just going to be bad as a center defensively. So he might be like, I would not be surprised by that one bit, but I, I think the upside of a center who can shoot threes, a center who can push the pace by grabbing and going a center who could be as good of a passer as he is. Like I agree that maybe that's a novelty. Uh, he's also young enough where I think he could just lose some weight and get some stronger, get stronger, become more athletic and become passable defensively. Like, I wish that he weren't so many steps away from doing that, but you see guys at that age just improve their bodies and, and he could get there. I think who would you have taken instead for the Pistons? Scala is, is the, the one that comes to mind for me, for sure. I mean, everybody who kind of went uh, Malik Beasley would be another one that I, I thought would be, Pretty good. Uh, Furkan Korkmaz, I think, is someone who can like kind of provide some instant offense uh, off the bench there. So those would probably be the three that, that I would look at. I mean, Luau as well. I think that uh, Zizic uh, out like of Croatia Zizic. maybe could have just been a cheap backup center option for them uh, for a while. Uh, so those would probably be the ones that I would have looked at. Um, and especially I think Zizic with his statistical translations is someone he probably doesn't have starter upside, but I think can just be an effective backup center for this team that could have been cheap. And then they could have maybe focused some of their resources elsewhere. You know, maybe he could have been their backup center once Baines became a free agent instead of having to spend, you know, another 18 million a year on guys who are probably whose best position is at center in free agency this year. All right, let me nail you down on this one too, before we go on to trades right now, would you rather have Stanley Johnson or Justice Winslow? Probably Stanley. I think, I mean, Justice, what he was able to do defensively for a rookie is extremely impressive. But Stanley is a little bit younger. I think he just has a better body defensively where he can actually guard two through four more effectively. I think that just being his size and, and speed at 245, and then he just, I think he's going to get to be at least an average three-point shooter in the league, someone who can handle the ball. And I just I just worry that Justice could be the type of guy who's always going to be a liability on offense, whereas I think Stanley is just going to be more well-rounded. It's hard for me to see how he doesn't get to be at least an okay offensive player and a solid defensive player. Justice is certainly ahead of him defensively, but I think Stanley can catch up and actually be a better one-on-one uh, defensive player. So I think I'd probably feel better about Stanley, despite the fact that Justice was much better by all the advanced metrics in his rookie year. Yeah, I'd I'd rather have Justice, but I I think it's close enough where I wouldn't be surprised whichever one has a better career, uh, which is why it's sort of hard right now to evaluate Stan Van Gundy as a drafter. Uh, There's just not enough of a track record yet, uh, just some early impressions. Uh, So moving on to trades, the big deals Stan Van Gundy has made, uh, he traded for Reggie Jackson. He gave up DJ Augustine, Kyle Singler, and a couple second-round picks in a three-way trade. Uh, on the same day, because the Pistons lost Kyle Singler, uh, they traded Jonas Jerebko and Gigi Tome for Tayshaun Prince. Uh, Van Gundy has traded for Ursan Ilyasova. Basically I forgot just, about that trade. That was actually a crappy trade, the Jerebko for Tayshaun Prince. That was horrible. Uh, yes, I, I, mean, I did they, not like that at the time, and I I, I think this that was a trade where uh, 
that's the worry about a coach slash president because they thought, hey, we're still trying to win this season. Tayshawn Prince is more of a natural small forward than Jonas Jarebko. Like we need to to give up the younger, better player for an aging over the hill veteran just because he might make us incrementally better right now this second when it doesn't matter and we're really going to miss the playoffs anyway. Yeah, well, I mean, Jarebko was better than Prince then, and he obviously is continued yeah. to be better. And now he was going to be a free agent, and he may have just left anyway. So that probably doesn't well, but so, hurt that badly. But, yeah, I mean, Jarebko Prince was a free a better, agent also. Yeah, Jarebko is a better stretch four than anyone they've had in here since then. Well, so they wanted Prince to be the small forward. I would have said just make Jarebko the small forward, even if power forward's his best position. Uh, he, he's he's that, not good enough at small forward. I, I well, neither is Tayshaun Prince. Yeah. I think – I think Jarebko was a better small forward then than Prince was. Yeah, no, that's probably true. I mean, because Prince, you know, couldn't play then, hasn't been able to play the year after that. I, I, I agree. I forgot about that one. Uh, and, and then they could, you know, I mean, Jarebko signed for essentially one year, five million guaranteed. Like, they certainly, they would have had his bird rights. They could have mm-hmm. re-signed him. I mean, he, he wasn't making anything either, right? His capital would have been pretty small, as I recall. Uh, so they certainly could have paid enough to trade him, and that probably would have saved them from uh, uh, some of their other... Uh, uglier transactions if they had still had him. I think they did really undervalue him. I, I had forgotten about that one. Yeah, that's a negative, and it, it looked like a negative at the time. Obviously still does. Uh, they acquired Ursan Ilyasova for what amounted to cap space. They traded for Marcus Morris, Reggie Bullock, and Danny Granger uh, for a second-round pick and essentially using their cap space. They traded Ursan Ilyasova and Brandon Jennings for Tobias Harris, and they traded for... Uh, their first round pick for Donatas, Modi Yunus, and Marcus Thornton, uh, and that trade was voided by the Pistons. So overall, Stan Van Gundy as a trader, how do you evaluate him? Good trader, bad trader, somewhere in between? No, I think getting Reggie Jackson essentially for no long-term pieces was impressive. Getting Tobias Harris for no long-term pieces, one of which they had actually gotten for free earlier and then were able to flip, was impressive. Getting Anthony Tolliver for nothing it was impressive as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. They yep. uh, um, and so I, I, well, that muddy Yunus trade would have been ugly. I think they, at least, you know, it didn't end up getting made that one of the reasons that it would have been ugly was due to his health and they voided it reportedly for those health reasons. So I, I think they, you know, when they weren't comfortable, they did a good job of not, you know, voiding it for that reason instead of just like doubling down. Uh, so, I mean, and, and then they got Marcus Morris for nothing, too. So they, he's gotten three starters for nothing. I mean, that's it's an incredible trading record, you would have to say. Yeah, and it, it's I think this is really a tribute to Jeff Bauer. And this is what I worried about was, OK, if these teams are willing to give away these good players just to for you to take them into your cap space, that trades available to a lot of teams like in this era, a lot of teams have cap space and it's not just the Pistons, they were the ones on top of it in the right place at the right time to seize that opportunity. And that's what I think can get missed if you don't have the right setup with a president and coach, because it's two jobs. It's too much for one person to be on top of and do well. And it's, you know, there's just not enough time in the day. Uh, So for the Pistons to get all those right, I, I think Stan Van Gundy and company have just done an incredible job in trades. They haven't made this, you know, they haven't really given up much of consequence, so they haven't, especially with the uh, Donatas Moda Unis trade voided, a first-round pick matters. Uh, but these minor moves, they're just nailing them and getting all these upside plays for very little. I think the Reggie Jackson trade was fantastic. 
I think the Tobias Harris trade might have been even better. I'm struggling to think of a trade in the last year that was better than the Tobias Harris trade to get a young player locked uh, into a Philly fleecing Sacramento. Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, yep. There. But yep. yeah, aside from that, that's up there. The Reggie Jackson trade would be up there as well. And they also succeeded in selling high on guys like DJ Augustin, Kyle mm-hmm. Singler, who have both been far worse since they left Detroit. Which is, you know, brings up that relates to what we were talking about on on the the previous podcast, just about value in in winning. They were a little better with those guys and it, it boosted their their perception around the league. All right. Now we're going to get to uh, a little bit of an uglier part of Stan Van Gundy's tenure, uh, free agent signings. So under Stan Van Gundy, the, the big moves, the Pistons did not make a high enough offer to Greg Monroe to convince him to pass up his qualifying offer. Uh, and so he took the qualifying offer, then left the next year. Pistons signed Jody Meeks to a three-year, nearly $19 million contract. They signed DJ Augustine to a two-year, $6 million contract. Yeah. Meeks was one that was panned at the time, but actually, like, when he was healthy, he actually helped. He just you know, hasn't been healthy for the entire time. I thought he was would have been worth that contract if he had managed to stay healthy. And he was, while it might have been overstated a little bit, his coming back in that 2014-15 season coincided with them actually starting to play competent basketball after that, I think it was a 5-23 and start. Well, I see, I don't, I'm trying to remember now. It was Meeks was obviously before the, the cap hit. It was definitely before we understood the magnitude of what the cap spike with the new TV deals would mean. But was it before that was announced? Yeah, that was announced in like October of 2014. Right. Right. And, and so I think he, smart teams probably had an idea that that was coming. And so he was signed, obviously, in, in the summer of 2014. Right. So, you know, as soon as that came into play, like his contract immediately looked better. And I think that explains some of the initial reluctance. Uh, Karan Butler signed a two year, nine million dollar contract that, if I remember right, was barely or not guaranteed the second year. Uh, so wound up being a one million or one year, four and a half million or so dollar contract. Uh, Aaron Baines, three years, 19 and a half million. Uh, re-signed Reggie Jackson to five years, eighty million. Well, should we we should talk about Josh Smith too, right? Does he go well, into this that, category? Uh, he's gonna he's gonna come later in the miscellaneous <laughs> moves. All right, my bad. My uh, bad. Signed John Lure to four years, forty-two million. Signed Ish Smith to three years, eighteen million. Signed Boban Marjanovic to three years, twenty-one million. Those are the the major signings. I think we're gonna look at these the same way and just have a different interpretation of it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that on the whole, the Pistons. Got good players, maybe not a perfect record, maybe not as good a record as you want, but they got good players for the most part, and maybe they were a little worse than this. Uh, got players who fit, but they also played paid a premium for them. Is that about how you see it? I would say that two of their signings you could say worked out. DJ Augustin of of free agents that they signed from other teams. DJ okay. Augustin would be one. Butler that was a terrible contract. Oh. Uh, Meeks. Could have been okay, but then he ended up getting hurt. So objectively, it just you know it didn't work out. Uh, and then I think Aaron Baines was bad. I don't think that that's worked out. I mean, he just while he had like good superficial, so he actually had like a 17 PR, which I never realized last year. But he wasn't good in San Antonio. I thought that was a misvaluation. They overpaid him, thinking that his backup that he solved their backup center problems. There were way better backup centers. 
who signed for way less. Hey, who 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 are, who are you talking about for way for backup centers who signed for less? Who do you have in mind right there? Uh, well, Bismack Biyombo yeah. would certainly be one. I know. I, I I love I love the game you play very often, which is: Would you rather have so and so or Bismack Biyombo for three million dollars? Or or Jeremy Lin? But at least I was <laughs> saying that. At least I was saying that at the time, right? You so this isn't like, hey, let's pick the guy who did the best and and retroactively say, hey, would you rather have this guy? And you know, they, and Biyombo only signed for one year. If he, they had just offered him Bain's contract, they could still have him right now, probably. Uh, uh, but and so I would say that Baines worked out very poorly. And then, you know, so maybe really only one of them. And I thought Ish is okay, n- not great. Boban is the other one that I thought was, was okay. I didn't really care for Lure. So, I, I mean, I think that they just have not have done very poorly. Uh, and just they've had bad benches these last couple of years. The whole point of these free agent signings was to fill out the bench. And those guys just haven't performed. And they spent enough money to where you'd be like, hey, we're overpaying, but this is a bench guys that you're overpaying for. If you're going to overpay for bench guys, you better at least have a good bench, and they haven't these last couple of years, and I am not sure even that they will this year. See, I think, well, I think Baines has been better than you're giving him credit for. The Pistons wanted somebody who was a, a center who's a better free throw shooter for the but moments what is when you come at? play drum. What is he good at? Why do people think that he's good? Well, he's he's big. <laughs> He can't and finish around. He's bad at finishing around the rim. He doesn't really he, shoot at all. Uh, he's slow, fouls he, a lot, uh, can't really protect the rim at all. He's a good rebounder. That's probably about he's a it. Good re- he's a good rebounder. I think he's a little bit better defensively in the paint than you give him credit for because they're going to ideally put him in, in in the matchups where he's going against other players without much speed and, and he can fit. Uh I mean, can you point to any statistics well, his, that shows he's, that he's good defensively? I mean, by the eye test, to me, at least, he's not. And I've, uh, ne- I've never seen – they didn't defend well, I don't think, with him uh, on the floor last year. Not all his fault. There's five players on the floor. But I, I don't think – and well, before that in San Antonio, I didn't think he was good either. I guess I'm going a little more matchup-based. In the moments where you you know need somebody to be a little more physical, he's not afraid to do that. And he can disrupt somebody who who's clicking well inside. And he's not afraid to throw his body around and be physical. And I think that's a real thing. Where there are players who, over a long season, they don't want to take a pounding. They don't want to throw their body around all the time. And I don't necessarily blame them. Uh, but I, So I think Baines, in those matchups, based on the eye test, can be an effective defender. Uh, although now you have Boban Marjanovic to, to do that also. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's limited Baines, value added. Way, uh, 52nd among centers in RPM last year and, and 0.17 defensive RPM, which is actually centers usually have yeah. a more of a positive RPM uh, off our perimeter guys, more of a negative defensive RPM. So that's actually well below average on defensive RPM as, as well. And then, his offensive RPM was nothing to write home about either. Uh, did play uh, 81 games, however. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think he might be more limited than the Pistons hoped in the matchups he can work, but I do think there are matchups where he can be a plus value, uh, which sort of goes to my overall view on all of these signings. Uh, I think a very high percentage of them improved the team. Maybe not improve the team enough to justify how much they cost, but made the team better that, that, you know, it's the Pistons... such a low bar though, isn't it? Well, like it, like it, we are better off just having, either, I mean, that's basically saying having this guy on our team would be better than not having anybody at all. Well, no, it's not better than I made at all is, is more so better than who you previously had. So yeah, the Pistons bench has been 
weak understand Van Gundy, but it was even weaker before. I mean, these before there were plenty of guys who just couldn't play who weren't good or or were, you know, guys who ascended in the starting lineup and didn't leave much behind them. And uh, so I, I I agree with you on the allocation of resources, but I think Stan Van Gundy never wants to be in a position where you would say, like, you know, oh, if we didn't sign Aaron Baines, if we just signed nobody, we would well, have they, had this they extra They would have signed player. some backup okay. center. They well, had but, no backup center. Right. Well, so if you sign somebody to a one-year minimum contract, like Aaron Baines might have been the best center they could have gotten, and they paid to get him. Like, they paid, no question. They paid a lot. Like, but I think they view that as worth it. And I see more of a logic to that than you do. Yeah, you like, wanna, I, I like, don't mind the overpaying. It's just, I think that was, I think they have, it is more to me, a failure of misevaluation with the free agents than it is even the overpaying. If you, if you want to just spend 6 million bucks a year for your backup center, I think that's an important role when you have Andre Drummond who gets in foul trouble and, you know, can be hacked out of the game. Uh, it's just that spend that six million bucks on a player who's actually going to solve the problem. Uh, and I think that's uh, sort of the problem with Lure this year might be a problem with this Smith. We'll see how he turns out. Uh, so there's a, that's more the concern for me even is that not the idea that, Hey, we got to overpay for these guys. These are a major problem. It's just, I wish they would have picked different guys. Well, so the big thing with Aaron Baines to the Pistons was that he's a good free throw shooter for a center. And obviously Bismack Biombo is not. I would have rather had Biombo and if teams want to foul, like they'll figure it out. You know, whether it's, you know, playing Anthony Tolliver at center where he's like overmatched or like I'd rather I was with you. I'd rather have Biombo. But I I think the logic behind this is a little more sound than you're giving credit for. But yeah, the, yeah, I just I just don't think he's good. <laughs> I mean, I mean, so this and I think you know, so this is where I I think you get on or on San Van Gundy as the as the president who's also the coach. Like this is where the downside is because he values you know getting good quicker more than both of us do. I'm somewhere in the and middle, the but it's more the thing just us. kills him as a coach too. I mean, you can just tell by his comments that it's just like. All right, at least if we take this guy out, this guy damn well better be able to shoot free throws. But, like, all right, him being a 61% free throw shooter versus a 78% free throw shooter or whatever it is that Baines is, you know, is not really something that I think is significant in the grand scheme of things. And maybe, that's a great point, maybe if Stan Van Gundy didn't have to live that every game from the sideline to be right there and see it right in front of him and live through it as the with the passion of, as a coach, if he could allow himself to be a little more removed as a president, maybe he would view that differently. Yeah, uh, that's quite possible. But yeah, I think there are just, there are better guys who signed for similar or less money in a lot of these cases that would have just filled the role better. I think it's it's more even of a personnel issue than a money allocation issue. All right. So moving on to the the two miscellaneous moves. Well, you can talk about the re-signings too. Well, like so, Reggie Jackson, uh, Andre Drummond. Well, so Reggie Jackson, I, I mentioned in here, and you wanted to skip past him because you wanted <laughs> to just criticize the outside. <laughs> Let's talk a little more, more about Reggie Jackson because I think it fit the same trend. I you know I don't really see this as different than the rest of the trend, which is. You got a good player. He makes your team better. Maybe you paid a little more than you had to. Uh, although his signing, his contract looks a little more friendly than some of the other ones. Do you do you see him different from how you evaluate the other signings as a whole? And Drummond is going to come up in miscellaneous, just FYI. Yeah, no, uh, Reggie, 
they probably overpaid, at least based on what the market was at that time and the leverage they had on him as a restricted free agent by two million bucks a year or so. <laughs> but you know what? Who cares? They got him for five years. He's probably below market now. He's going to be their starter for a while. He performed well. They That's one that they evaluated correctly. That one just doesn't. That was one that we really downgraded them for, you know, when we did our offseason grades in 2015. And that was that was probably the biggest reason that I went from. Uh, well, no, I guess the, the Marcus Morris also performing really well was another one, too, uh, on why I raised it from a B minus to a B. But, uh, no, I mean, I think that's in the aggregate. It's a good contract. If you say we didn't squeeze him for two million bucks more, he has that type of personality where he wouldn't have appreciated that. So giving him a contract that he was happy with is probably worth that two million bucks. And that's what I was to say. It's such a tricky thing to evaluate from the outside. I mean, to some degree, it's just look at you like him as your franchise point guard. This is what a franchise point guard is worth. Like you pay him that. Uh, but this is what's so hard to evaluate from the outside. How different of a player would he have been if the Pistons like tried to pinch every penny and say, hey, we see what the market is for you. All the teams with cap space outside of Philadelphia and we know you don't want to go there have point guards already. Like, just suck it up and take this. You know, we're not afraid to lose you. Instead, you inspire the confidence in him and say, you know, we view you as a franchise point guard. We're going to pay you like one. We expect you to play like one. Like, that that could mean something. I don't know how much money that's worth, but I think it could be worth something. And it's so tricky to evaluate that. No, I agree with you. Uh, so the miscellaneous moves. Uh, the big one is waving Josh Smith and the one other I've tagged as miscellaneous and I didn't put it under straight free agency because it's a little more complex than that, uh, is Andre Drummond convincing him to forego his contract extension, which would have raised his cap number at the beginning of this off season, uh, by about eight or $9 million. It would have gone to his max salary. Uh, no, so yeah, yeah. I think it would have been more than that. It would have been his cap hold was like eight or nine or something. And he would have gone up to. I was thinking his cap hold was around like 13, but I don't have in front of me. Regardless of the exact number, it would have raised his cap hold a lot. But yeah, so 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 what was it? Yeah, I think it was you know his cap hold was like eight or nine, and he ended up you know his max salary, starting salary was 22. So that that would have been the difference. So the question that I wanted to ask you, this uh, occurred to me, is basically they used that extra 11 million to sign John Luer. Would you and? Perhaps the price of him agreeing to wait that long was that he got a player option on that last year. Would you rather have John Luer on the team for these next four years or however long he sticks around? Or would you rather that Andre Drummond not be given that player option and you have him locked up for another year? I reject the premise of the question because I think Andre Drummond <laughs> I think Andre Drummond was getting a player option either way. He's really? The best, he's the best player the Pistons have in a long time. Like they've been very open about how they're building around him, about how he's everything to them. Like they, in the same way that they didn't nickel and dime Reggie Jackson, they've been so open about how much Drummond means to the franchise. I think that had Drummond had a lot to do with why Stan Van Gundy would want this job. I think he had something to do with why the Pistons would want Stan Van Gundy who had so much success with Dwight Howard in Orlando, a similar type of player in some ways. Uh, so I, I think he was getting the player option either way, but it is an interesting question. If you do believe that because he delayed, I think if they just, their offer was just, Hey, here's a, a five year max extension designated player, uh, that he would have just, and 
you want a player option? No. I think there's no way that he turns that down at that point just to wait and see whether he could get a player option. I think that that just that risk reward doesn't necessarily work out when you're being offered that type of money. I think that he probably would have just signed that, but we'll never well, know I, answer to that. Well, but that's my well, I, th- I think he would have. But, you know, in contract extension negotiations, it's going to be about who would blink first. And I think the Pistons would have blinked first. Like if they wouldn't have, if they would have just insisted, this is our best offer, five years straight. I think he would have taken it. I just don't think they would have insisted that. But maybe, let's, maybe. let's accept your premise first. Yeah. Uh, would, would I rather have John Lure or that extra year of Drummond? Probably the extra year of Drummond. And I'm guessing you'd say the same. I think so. And Drummond, I think, is going to be making maybe like 28 or something that last year. So it is possible that, you know, that might actually be a little bit of an overpay for him, even at that time, but probably not given where the cap will still continue to rise and uh, that we expect him to improve. So I think that probably would end up having been a value uh, year for the Pistons. And I don't think Lure is really going to move the needle very much. Uh, and I think, in fact, it's probably going to be a bad contract. So, uh, But, you know, I think they could have done better than Lure. I think they were right to play it the way they did at the time. It just, I feel like, because of the fact that they didn't do that great of a job in maximizing their space, that it ended up not working out. Not only were they right to play it at the time, I don't think there's much question about that. I think it's a credit to them that they got Drummond on board. Like, he sure. was perfectly content with this, and that's a credit to... You know, Van Gundy, I think, you know, he deserves praise for that. Uh, so the one other big move, his first huge move as president, uh, we've got to talk for a couple minutes about Josh Smith. What what did you think of that at the time? And has, have your thoughts on it evolved at all? Yeah, the thinking at the time was I can't believe that they didn't just like send him home if he was just that terrible of an influence or just not play him and see if they could find some way to move on from him. Or at the very least, get him to accept a buyout. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, as, as it turned out, uh, he really completely had fallen off a cliff. He just wasn't good anymore. He's going to be out of the league probably in this what would have been the fourth year of that. So the idea that they could have just gotten someone to take him on, that they wouldn't have to give up an asset. You can also make the argument that they already have been kind of had more cap space than they've known what to do with. Uh, and then they're going to be capped out for a while here anyway, for like the next like three years or whatever it is that he's still going to be on the books at that 5 million. So it probably seemed worse at the time than it looks now. I think what would have been nice is if they could have actually saved a little bit of money on that to buy him out. Uh, but, you know, as, as it turned out uh, that I don't think it ended up really killing them in large part because people assume that Smith could still play. And as it turned out, he couldn't. Yeah. I mean, at the time I, I sort of thought, I didn't feel completely like set on this, but I sort of thought they should have, should not have stretched him and just taken their punishment. Uh, But in hindsight, this really just fits into everything about Stan Van Gundy. It's this is what he wanted. He went out and made it happen. You know, he did not want Josh Smith on the team. So he just, he just did it. He wasn't worried about, you know, the exact amount, whether Smith would have agreed to a buyout. And, and, and that he, was a massive turning point in Pistons history. They're like five yeah. and 23 or whatever it was when they waived him and they immediately got better. How, how it invigorated much the team effect. Uh, I don't know, 
but it was, uh, I mean, and it was definitely the right call because he was done. He couldn't play anymore. And it might have sent, obviously a lot of people are talking about, did it send a message to the Pistons? It might have sent a message to other free agents that will treat you right. Because that was the best thing that could have happened to Josh Smith as far as he's going to get all his money still. And he could go pick his new team, go somewhere where he wanted. Uh, he seemed at one point at least a little bit happier in Houston than he ever was in Detroit. Uh, so, you know, instead of talking to him about a buyout, and nickeling and dime, nickeling and diming him and getting that all set, like they did right by him in a way. Uh, big picture, I think Stan Van Gundy's tenure. I I think one way that I was right about him is that he's been fairly impulsive. You know, when he wants help, when he wants an upgrade, when he's not satisfied with the guys he's coaching, he's gonna try and go get it, almost no matter what it costs. He's been fairly, fairly good on contracts and keeping the team flexible, but not as good as maybe the average only GM. Uh, but one way he's he's been way better than I hoped is as a trader. And I think this comes to my big concern was you can't do both jobs, that it's too much time for one person. And so he's relied on Jeff Bauer to help scour the league for these trades. And when these opportunistic deals have come about, the Pistons have pounced and it's been great for them. Uh, so your overall impressions on Stan Van Gundy as front office chief? Yeah, I think he deserves a solid B, maybe even a B plus for his tenure so far. I think the, those trades have been outstanding and he deserves credit for that. I just wish that he had gone a little bit more flexible with some of these uh, backup guys. I mean, I think that just Baines, Boban, and Luer having all those guys on the books, and maybe Ish Smith as well. I mean, those guys, if Baines were to opt in, which I think is actually a higher probability than a lot of people do, but uh, you know, I think he's going to be either 30 or 31 at that point. And I think especially if Boban or if Luer get more playing time over him, if he languishes on the bench – he might just be forced to opt into that. So you have a scenario in which you could have basically thirty million bucks committed to guys on your bench, none of whom necessarily, I think, promise to be above average backups. Uh, and I don't think that any of those guys up to this year, maybe we'll, we'll see this year help them so much more than just guys you could have gotten if you could have simply maintained flexibility and had contracts that expired in the summer of 2017. And so uh, those guys are probably all going to be around and now they're not going to have cap space. They could have cap space if they had just gone for guys, maybe done a little bit better of evaluation. I mean, they haven't really, one thing they haven't really succeeded at is just in getting guys who are kind of undervalued or, minimum contributions for minimum guys or anything like that. They haven't really succeeded there, despite the fact that they have this ballyhooed, hey, we have guys who watch every single NBA game and create <laughs> them and, and all that stuff, So, which I think is a worthwhile project. I mean, to denigrate that, but it hasn't really paid off for them yet. And so they could be in the free agent market again this year if they wanted to. It'll be a better free agent market than 2016. And unfortunately, that they're not going to be able to do that. So that's the, the major downside, but... When you look at where this team was when he took over and getting three starters essentially for nothing, 
Uh, and I, I mean, basically the only guy left for when he took over is Drummond, right? Like there's really nobody else. Caldwell uh, Pope too. Yeah. Oh yeah. KCP. That would be, and he's obviously an important piece, but to just start from there and in two years build the team that, you know, on my show, you predicted that they were going to win 47 games. I said 45, considering that they were just winning 30 games a year for six years before that. Very impressive. I think there's no two ways about it. And, and that's, that's the last thing I, I want to, the, the my big takeaway going forward uh and i generally agree with your grades b plus b ish you know i'm i'm there uh stan van gundy took over the pistons at a point in time where they had missed the playoffs for several years they were dismayed by that they wanted to get back into the playoffs they wanted to get better and that's why i'm a little more forgiving of you know the contracts for aaron baines or john lure than you are where maybe there were guys that were better bang for their buck and there were obviously some players who were just better but I think the idea was we're going to get the best players we can get. It's not necessarily going to be the best value, but they just did not appreciate it at this time. And I think there's it's reasonable with where they're trying to be as a franchise to say, hey, look, at we'd rather pay $12 million for a $10 million player than $1 million for a $3 million player. Because they just want the better player and they'll pay what it takes to do. It. And I think there's some logic to that. Now, I have a lot of questions about San Van Gundy trying to rebuild a team or taking over a team at a different point in its arc. And I don't I don't know how he'd do. We haven't seen him try to do it. Maybe he'd shock us all and be more patient or maybe he'd take the same approach in a team that's not ready for this approach and it'd be a disaster. So I, I'm happy to see Stan Van Gundy running the Pistons right now for where they are and completing, you know, this ascension and see where he goes from here. I think he's earned plenty of leeway. Uh, but when it gets time to the point to rebuild, whenever that comes, I'm going to have some major, major questions about his ability to undertake that task. Yeah, well, that shouldn't happen for quite some time and they should be a team that's in the playoffs. You would imagine, or at least most of the next five years, if not, mm-hmm. maybe even longer than that. Uh, you know, and, and maybe I think you can make the argument that they would just have to upgrade a point guard somehow uh, over Reggie that he ha- has a little bit of a ceiling, but he still is. Again, they got him for nothing. He's a very competent player at that position. So, yeah, you look at the fact that this team doesn't have anyone who is a high draft pick. The, the idea of, OK, we're going to rebuild and tank a was untenable just from a political standpoint, but also there really wouldn't have been a way to do that. Uh, when you already had Drummond on the team, you had KCP guys who were improving. I mean, you would have had to really gut the rest of the roster to get into where you're getting more pieces in the draft that are, that are potential superstars. So given the fact that there really was no easy way of obtaining a superstar, given what he inherited, I think to, to get the team to where they are on the trajectory that they're on, uh, you know, I'm not sure that you could say that uh, much differently could have been done. Yep, I'm with you. I mean, this this was Stan Van Gundy. This seems like the type of GM he'd be, and it works for what the Pistons are. And maybe he's more flexible. Maybe he's not. And I, I'm with you. It'll be a long time till we'll find out. Uh, and right now, I think things are going pretty well. Uh, would you agree with this? Last thing. Better. I think he, he's done overall definitely better than I expected in this role. Uh, I'm guessing you'd say the same. Yes. Yeah, I think so. Though, again, it is difficult to separate out the fact that, say, someone like Reggie Jackson or even Drummond, what he was able to do last year, uh, KCP's defensive improvement, 
it's difficult to separate that out from just what he's been able to do as a coach. But, you know, if he was, if there were just some other GM and they're like, okay, we got these guys, these players that Stan's going to be able to coach up, you know, you would be saying the GM did a good job. So there's certainly no reason to downgrade him because he also does a good job of coaching the players that he acquires. There it is. Nate Duncan, big Stan Van Gundy (laughs) fan, huge praiser of the Pistons, just all around positive about the team. Nate's at Twitter at Nate Duncan NBA. I'm at Dan Feldman NBA. You can follow Locked On Pistons on Audio Boom or subscribe on iTunes. Thanks for listening.